It was uh, encouraging just to see you ministering to one another and praying for one another and caring for one another. And so thankful for the Spirit's kindness there and that we can be a church that uh, does that and enter into each other's life and as best we can, just try to be sensitive to uh, what the Spirit's doing. Um, so yeah, thankful for that. Uh, I am Jake Ledette, one of the pastors here, and so it's always a joy to get to continue to walk through Jesus' famous words here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, one just quick announcement. Um, we, I, I said this in the initial announcement, but we will you know, record uh, the sermon. It'll be podcast uh, wherever you find podcasts, unless you have found a place that we don't know about. Um, but uh, they'll be uh, recorded, distributed, and um, they'll most likely be out every Monday, uh, maybe sometimes on Sunday. Uh, so just to know that although we're not live streaming anymore, we still will have that uh, available. And so as you heard from uh, Jeremy reading, we are just continuing on. Um, and we these this is kind of a section in the sermon where Jesus has given us these kind of six examples, uh, these six examples of uh, applying the law uh, to our lives in specific uh, situations Um, We talked about anger and lust, and then today, divorce, obviously. And then next week, we'll probably get to all of them in one week. We'll see, though. Oaths, retaliation, and loving our enemies. Excuse me, but what I always want to keep reminding us of is all of these are connected to an outflow from Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. So they're not isolated. They're not just, he's not just here to talk about divorce or anger or lust. He's using all of these as specific applications to his whole point in verses 17 through 20. So I'm just going to read it for us again. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, the prophets, not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying just simply, Jesus, that he has come to fulfill the law, that the law is good, that we should obey it, that we should teach others to obey it, Um, And then also, if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, we need to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And again, Jesus is using all of these six examples to show this reality. Um, He did that with anger, did that with lust, um, and now we come to uh, divorce. And I want to say a couple things. One, I realize that this can obviously be uh, a hard topic uh, for many people. If you've gone through divorce, it's likely one of the hardest experiences that you've ever lived through. And with situations like divorce, it can be really hard to just kind of speak generally uh, because each situation, just like each relationship that is either healthy or struggling, is just varied and uh, unique and different. Um, And it can just be, but but Jesus is is speaking generally here. Um, And so I I say that to say that if uh, you, we are here. If you need to ask more questions, if you want someone to pray with you, if you want someone to talk with you, that that we are here uh, for you uh, in that way and would love to continue to have any conversation uh, that we need to have. Um, And and then there's another kind of group of people that sometimes if you study the Bible and you come to the scriptures, you might come to this, and especially if maybe if you haven't been impacted by divorce in significant ways, you might come to this as like a major, mainly a theological question. Like what are the, you know, when can we get a divorce? When can someone get a divorce? When can someone not get a divorce? What does remarriage look like? What are the different arguments for each view? And then how do we, how do they talk to each other? And, and, and if you're going to take the scriptures seriously, those are great questions to ask. Those are, those are good questions to consider and seek the scriptures uh, for. Uh, but we should never um, divorce our theology, as pun intended, um, from actual people and, and our lives and other lives, um, and, and they, they were never meant to be. Jesus is talking to real people here in this moment. Uh, Jesus cares about people much more deeply than you do, and you should care about people. Um, and so if you're ever treating any piece of Scripture as a mainly theological point, you have missed the point of Scripture. 
Um, now, again, we need to ask those questions and we need to seek and understand what the Bible has to say about everything. And what Jesus has to say about anything is a good thing. It's a good thing to hear. It's a good thing to live. It's a good thing to consider. And so we should, uh, we should consider that. And as I was thinking, man, there's just so much uh, here. And uh, if, if as for our little bit of time in addressing this topic that Jesus really just gives us a couple sentences on, except for elsewhere in Matthew, my hope is just that we can have a bit of a biblical framework for understanding divorce, like just some kind of understanding, like if you've never thought about those questions, okay, what are the scriptures, where do, where do we go to, what is it saying, um, and how do we try to sort through how this applies to our life or other people's lives that we may be walking with. Um, but then also, okay, what, what, is, uh, what is our hope in marriage? Like obviously we can't talk about divorce without talking about marriage. And, and what is Jesus even in his uh, speaking of divorce here? What is he saying uh, about the reality of marriage, uh, the vision for marriage uh, between each other on earth, but also with him uh, as our God? And so to do that, we're just going to ask two questions and say a lot of things in the midst of those two questions. Uh, one, is divorce ever wrong? And then two, is divorce ever right? So we're going to look at those two questions and see what Jesus has to say. So one, is divorce ever wrong? Short answer, yes. Yes, there are times getting a divorce is sinful. Remember what Jesus is doing in all these examples is he's taking an Old Testament you know, true that, you know, the 10 commandments he used the first two times. This one isn't, this one isn't from the 10 commandments, but it's from Deuteronomy 24. He's saying, he's using it. He's quoting it. He's not doing away with it, but he's saying, Hey, here's the heart behind this. And so this is actually a quote from Deuteronomy 24. Uh, so let's look at that real quick. There's a lot here that we can't get into all of it, but Deuteronomy 24, one through four, this is what Jesus is taking from and Matthew five here. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. There was a lot of debate in Jesus' time about what that word meant. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not talk, take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled for it is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So this is obviously one of those parts in the Old Testament that we would read, our eyes would glaze over a bit and we would probably just move along and be like, okay, there's a lot of things going on there. I'm not sure what was happening. And this is what's called case law. Like basically uh, God, you know, kind of helping Israel um, restrain the sin that was among them in the sense of, hey, if this happens, do this. If this happens, do this. And that's exactly what we see happening here. And, and one of the things, there's, there's a lot going on here. Uh, and, and again, some of the debate in Jesus' day was about, uh, about what this meant, which we'll get to here in a second. But one of the things he was trying to protect them from was a flippant view of divorce of, oh, if you just go and get married, then you go get married again. The, no, there's a seriousness to this. There's a weightiness to this. And even although it doesn't sound like this here, there's a protection of women in Deuteronomy 24, where it's like you can't just put women out and you can't, that, that there is a consideration of, of them being cared for and the financial implications of marriage for women uh, in that day. And we see Jesus, we see uh, Deuteronomy trying to uh, allow for that. Um, so that's this example. But in a conversation about divorce later in Matthew, the Pharisees bring this up with Jesus, basically uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 24, and they're in Matthew 19, likely responding to they're either were there at the Sermon on the Mount and asking a question about it, or they'd heard the strict Jesus, the strict teaching Jesus had uh, about this subject. And so in Matthew 19, uh, we'll start in verse 7, we'll get to the other part of the passage in a little bit. Starting in verse 7, it says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Quoting Deuteronomy 24 again. He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. 
And so again, Jesus is, uh, one of the things he's doing is speaking into, even more than all the other examples, he is speaking into kind of a hot debate in this time. Um, and, and he's helping people kind of snap out of the flippant view that they had of divorce. Um, and he's, he's applying a seriousness uh, to the reality of marriage and divorce. Some people in, in Jesus' day already agreed with him about his high view, and others uh, were taking it very lightly. There was two popular schools of thought, uh, two Jewish rabbis uh, that were, their names were Hillel and Shammai. And um, Shammai held to Jesus' kind of high view that you should only get a divorce uh, in cases of adultery. And then Hillel just taught a really flippant view of divorce. And in Jesus' day, it was probably, it was probably a little bit split in, the, in like the sides, but shortly after Jesus in the, in the first century, Hillel, and, and even now it kind of took the, he, he, they won the debate. And, and Jewish uh, people mostly followed uh, Hillel's teaching. And, and Charles Quarles, um, a commentator on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he quotes some of the Mishnah from a Hillel, which the Mishnah is just their Jewish teaching, so a collection of it. Um, and it said this, he says this, the Mishnah, this is of Hillel, the Mishnah stated that a man could divorce his wife if she were barren, if she became a deaf mute, or if she had epilepsy, tetanus, warts, or leprosy. The Mishnah insisted that a man could divorce his wife if she failed to perform certain services in the home, if her husband considered her lazy, or if she burned his supper. And that's, that's true. That's not a joke. That's not like it's uh, those were some of the, the genuine reasons written down for a man to pursue divorce. And there was actually a whole list of physical defects in which uh, uh, were allowed for divorce that, to be honest, frankly, are just too absurd and too offensive to even read. Uh, but it was a long list of reasons uh, for which someone could pursue divorce. And this is the context that Jesus is speaking into in his Sermon on the Mount. Again, he's taking this truth, this Old Testament truth, um, and he's saying, hey, this is how you're interpreting it. He's saying, hey, here's the, the really the heart of this. This is the truth that you should have gotten uh, from what God has given you uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, so this flippant view of marriage that Jesus is speaking into uh, and correcting and I was thinking about just a flippant view of divorce, and I think we, we know the effects and the ramifications of it. And we'll, but, but, and, and if I'm honest, I don't think in the church that I've been a part of as far as members that are present in Northbrook or in churches previously, uh, as, especially in a majority kind of way, I don't think we have a flippant view of divorce. Uh, I really don't. I don't see that as like a significant issue within membership of the church. Um, but obviously we're, we do struggle in our marriages. We do struggle, uh, in our relationships and, um, and we struggle in very similar ways that the culture does with divorce. So where the culture might have a flippant view of divorce, even if they know it's rampant effects, they, we struggle in similar ways. Here's a, a kind of a, a popular example of this. Um, I was writing on this a couple weeks ago and I was actually listening to Adele while I was writing, obviously, um, but, uh, and one of the uh, song, her newest song, Easy On Me, her newest whole album is actually somewhat of a uh, explanation of, a depiction of her recent divorce with her ex-husband. Um, and it was, again, it was kind of bizarre just to be writing on this as, a, and actually Sophia is learning how to play that piano, that song on the piano. And that's when I had to look up what the song was about. And that's when I was like, okay, I guess you can still play it, but it's about divorce, so we should talk about that. Um, and uh, but I, then I listened, so I've listened to the song a good bit and researched Adele much more than I ever planned on in my life. Uh, and uh, but there's a, a couple like statements that she makes in the song that that really help kind of get to the heart of some of the some of the the flippant ways we we take divorce. But let me read this. Uh, this was in an interview she did, kind of explaining the album, and the album is basically written to her son. Um, and she said, I wanted to explain to him. Through this record, when he's in his 20s or 30s, who I am and why I voluntarily chose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my own happiness. She goes on to say, it made him really unhappy sometimes. And that's a real wound for me that I don't know if I ever will be able to heal from. 
And so I read that for a couple of reasons. One, just to give us, like, even in the culture where divorce may be seen as more acceptable, like, there's no getting around the incredible impact it has on, on people's lives. Um, but I also say that because my heart breaks for Adele and her son and her family. And I'm not, I'm not even quoting her song to, like, shame her or bring up any of that. I have no idea about the particulars of her situation. But her song captures some of the things that happen in my marriage and in your marriage and in marriages that end up dissolving um, and uh, leading to divorce. And so a, a few that, that kind of stuck out to me. Um, one, she has a line that says, I changed who I was to put you both first. Um, just that, that kind of common um, statement of, you know what, I've been a doormat, I haven't been looking for, out for myself, and now I'm going to start to do that. And, and here's the thing about all of these kinds of things. There's, there's always a thread of truth in them. Uh, the reality is, our, in any relationship, our needs should not go unvoiced or to some degree unmet. Like, we shouldn't, we shouldn't just, we shouldn't be a doormat in any relationship. Um, we like just living honestly with someone else is to say, oh, I have this need. This is going on in my life. I'm thinking this thing. Um, and so those are realities that should be present in healthy relationships. But what we do is we, we take that and say the only alternative is those weren't getting met. And so now I'm going to go pursue them. And we go from uh, maybe not acknowledging our needs to making our needs the most important thing. Um, and, and it's like that's one or the other, and, and that's just not how life works. It's not how the scriptures work. It's not how wisdom works, uh, but it is a, a flippant view of what can happen. We go from thinking our needs not are met in any way to exalting our needs uh, in a sinful way. Um, uh, another uh, line is when she just says, I had good intentions. Basically, I did the best I could, and I can't do any more. You know, I had good intentions as kind of a way of acknowledging wrong, but I did a lot right in a way to not deal with what was actually wrong. Like at times we, we know there's wrong, but we mask that wrong with, you know what, but I've done some good things. I've done right. I've tried hard. I've had good intentions. Uh, and and those, that's probably a true statement. And that's probably something to consider and something to even talk about. But we can't use those kinds of statements to mask on the things that have gone wrong the things that even we have done wrong and the things that need to be acknowledged and pressed into in our marriage. And one that I've seen happen a lot uh, in specific contexts is she said, I had no time to choose what I chose to do. The last, the last Adele quote of the day, I think. Um, I had no time to choose what I chose to do. And this is just regret. She's just voicing regret. She's basically, and she was really young when she got married and the dude she married was really old older than her. Um, and uh, and, um, and uh, she was just saying, I had no time. And here's one thing I've just seen as a common thread, and this may, may not hit you, but I've seen people that get married really young and experience extreme conflict. Regret is one of the hardest things for them to get over because they get married young and they experience conflict and they're like, man, I think I may have made the wrong decision. And sometimes the enemy takes that and ingrains it deep and it's hard to get over. Uh, it's hard for a husband or a wife where that has taken root and not bathed in prayer and God's word uh, to, to be worked through. And I've seen that lead to uh, marriages ending. I've also seen the Lord move and work and, and overcome that regret. But again, that's one of the things that, I mean, obviously regret is just a thing that can happen in marriage, but that's in Adele's situation. I have seen that play, play out time and time again. So in Jesus' day, divorce and marriage were just simply taken lightly. And again, I haven't really seen this uh, as, uh, as a church, uh, but this is something that, that happens uh, in our culture. And, and in that, you can just see how the thoughts that led to her divorce are present in every one of our marriages to some degree or another, in one season or another. Um, and they are significantly present with people that are wondering if they can ever be happy or debating giving up. Uh, in any way. So again, is divorce ever wrong? It's a good question just to ask and state clearly, yes, it is wrong. And even if you think about how do we know this? Well, number one way we know this is because Jesus just said it. He said divorce is wrong, that there are certain situations where divorce is wrong. But I think it's even clear that 
we can see that if you just look at the fruit, if you look at the fruit of a reality, then that's how you judge anything. That's how you judge the substance of anything. And if you look at the fruit of divorce, you see uh, the realities uh, of ways we can be impacted. And, and, and this is what, and, and I think as we even think about an apologetic for Jesus, for Christianity, for his words, if you look at the effects of a divorce, those are the very things Jesus is desiring to save us from. Those are the very things Jesus is desiring to protect us from. Reality is sometimes those living in a fallen world with sin and suffering, sometimes those things are unavoidable. But this is why Jesus put this word here, that we would be protected from these very things. Just to share a little bit about my story. Sometimes I assume you know me and my story, but in reality, many of you don't know me that well and just met. You may think, man, he's up there, he's preaching, he's reading the Bible, uh, he's, his life has probably gone great, and he's a pastor, everything's always gone swimmingly. Um, but it's not quite my story. And even just a, a little piece of it that has to do with divorce or some of my upbringing, I think I maybe have said some of this in a sermon before, but I'm not sure. And I asked my parents if I could share this, and they uh, were okay with that. But um, so I was born to my mom and my biological dad, who I've never met before he passed away, and they weren't married. And actually, when uh, my biological dad found out that my mom was pregnant, he left money for an abortion for my mom to go through with. By God's grace, she didn't go through with that. Um, And then she married a guy while she was pregnant with me um, that signed my birth certificate, I guess in a sense was my uh, legal dad. They divorced pretty, I don't even really remember him, met him once when I was older, but didn't really know him at all. And then around the time I was five, uh, my mom started dating another man who would end up adopting me and becoming my dad. Um, And... uh, they were they would be in they would be married for about 16 years uh and the reality, before they divorced and even though i would uh, describe their marriage as very tumultuous not great and not to say there weren't good times but it was just a, a rough marriage and and it happened they got divorced when i was 19 so I lived my whole life you know thinking man that's this is a rough relationship but even at 19 thinking okay this probably makes sense this, this might, at that time, that's what I was thinking. And it's, I was just kind of surprised by how much their divorce impacted me. Like how much it shook me, how much it wrecked me in ways that I just didn't even really plan on. Just because again, I'd grown up realizing that, man, this is, this is a tough relationship they're in. Um, and so just the, the impact of divorce uh, is even in situations that seem to make sense, even in situations that the Bible would say, Hey, this is this is allowable. This is you can move forward with this. Um, it still has effects. Still impacts us. Um, again, this is what Jesus is trying to save us from. Uh, so Jesus makes it clear that divorce is often wrong. It's often wrong. So now, is divorce ever right? Let's look at verse thirty-one and thirty-two together. It's also said, whoever divorces his wife, let her give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So I think about this ground in this moment. Many of the people hearing Jesus' words would have done what he is saying not to do. Like they would have already gone through with probably several times over what Jesus is saying, hey, you should not be doing that. You can just feel the awkwardness or the discomfort uh, of that uh, reality when Jesus is saying your constant divorce and remarriage is just simply wrong. You're treating this beautifully mysterious gift as something that is meant to please your flesh. That's what they were doing in these moments. They weren't viewing it as Jesus intended it. Um, and again, this is probably what led to uh, earlier in Matthew 19, verses 3 through 6, the Pharisees start, started this conversation with Jesus again, and they said, and Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? That's what they're asking here. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
So Jesus is saying there is allowance for divorce, but it is narrow, not wide. And then, even then, it's significant and nothing to be taken lightly. And I think as he's appealing to Adam and Eve in the garden, and he doesn't even appeals to that verse that, that uh, we should become one flesh, that we should cleave to one another. He's saying that the very issues in your marriage are not things to, to lead you away from each other, but to cause you to turn towards each other, that you should pursue your husband, that you should pursue your spouse, not just in the easy things, not just when things are going well, but even in the difficulty. Again, Jesus is trying to draw our attention to our spouse, saying don't treat your marriage as something that doesn't matter and can be disregarded, but treat your marriage as a treasure. This one flesh ginger was listening to something this week that talked about like there's no, there's no beginning or end to us as this one flesh. We're one flesh. Uh, we're, we're in this together, uh, and we shouldn't treat our marriage as anything different than that. I was looking up... Uh, divorce and reasons, and a couple of things. One, I wasn't planning on mentioning this, but the divorce rate has actually gone, gotten better since 1990, 19, um, that there's actually less people getting divorced. Now, stats are a funny thing, so there's probably less people getting married, and probably more people just living together, so that is one thing, uh, but in, just in general, like 50% is not even necessarily a rule anymore that more like 60% of divorces are staying, or marriages are staying uh, together. But the most common reason for divorce uh, was just simply basic incompatibility. So that was the number one reason given for divorce, and obviously that means a slew of things um, and can mean lots of different things, but, but it was... It was, it was Everything significant, adultery, abuse, all of those things were a different category. The number one prominent uh, reason was basic incompatibility. Um, and I think this is what Jesus is saying, that that incompatibility are those issues that need to be pressed into, not used for a reason to separate. And I just thought about, so me and Ginger use this uh, uh, marriage assessment when we do premarital or marital counseling and has lots of, just gathers lots of information about what's going on. We, we've used it for ourselves when we've gone through counseling. Um, and I was just thinking about some of the common kind of questions it asks um, and how much these are that basic incompatibility often and things that maybe you and your marriage even now uh, need to consider and talk, talk through and get help with and pray about. Uh, things like, do you ever have differences that never get resolved? Is that something that's pretty active in your marriage? You should press into that. Is forgiveness hard to come by in your marriage? Is that something that's, that's seldom and not frequent? Are you concerned with how your uh, spouse handles money? Money issues are obviously a big factor in the midst of marriage. That's something that should be pressed into and considered, uh, not just avoided. Is sexual intimacy a significant struggle in your marriage? There's lots of different reasons and lots of different seasons that that can be an issue. Uh, but we can get bitter and struggle and, and divorce over that, or we can press into that and consider uh, what Jesus has for us there. Um, I think of a lot of the season many of us are in, are you struggling to prioritize your marriage above the busyness and stresses of life? You know, is, is the marriage just taking a back seat? <laughs> to everything else that's going on in life and how often that happens. And, and sometimes we give in to that and we just like accept it, man. There's just the, the season we're in as opposed to, man, to the, to the degree, this is always a good bar, to the degree that it's a significant struggle in you, to the degree that it continues to pop up in your heart and your mind, to the degree that you respond to that struggle with some kind of emotion, typically the degree that you need to be talking about it, getting help with it. Like if you had one thought last month, that's probably not the biggest issue in, the, in your marriage. Uh, but if you have a consistent struggle with these or something like them, Jesus is saying marriage is something not to be taken flippantly. Marriage is, Jesus is saying these things uh, can continue to divide. They can continue to become that incompatibility that, that leads to divorce. Or they can be areas where whether they're resolved perfectly or not, that you seek him in, uh, that you cling to him in. The world says marriage and love should be immediate, it should be passionate, it should be ongoing, it should be fun, it should look like everything we always see on Instagram. That's what the world says. That's what the world says about our love and our relationships, and no one experiences love and relationship that way. No one does. 
No one does. But it's a, it's a, it's a lie that, that our, our world tells us. It's a lie we want to believe, even the Christian versions of it. Like, oh, we just want to pray together for hours. We want to have perfect sexual intimacy. We want to have kids that behave perfectly. And again, none of us say that, but we desire that and think if we're falling short of that, something has gone wrong with her or me or something's off. And it's because we're believing this lie that, that marriage is meant to be this perfect kind of thing that the Scripture never talks about in that way. The Scripture does not lay marriage before us uh, in that way. Um. And I think as Christians, what we do sometimes when we overfocus on that is we lose this opportunity to shine in this area. But like, obviously, hopefully as Christians, we have healthy marriages. Hopefully there's good that is seen in our marriage and that it's a, it's a good example uh, for others that are Christians or non-Christians. But here's the other opportunity we have in marriages is when things aren't going good. And that happens. You, we, I mean, I don't have to convince us of that. If we're married, that happens, and it doesn't take long. Um, and those are opportunities when whether it's like, the, it's not, we don't shine because this issue is resolved. We get the opportunity to be salt and light that Jesus called us to, to, to be a city on a hill, to be a lampstand that, that everybody's seen, that when we see Jesus is sufficient in this. You know, it's not perfect, it's a struggle, it's hard, but I, I, I'm clinging to him, I'm putting my hope in him, and he is sufficient whether this thing gets resolved or not. That is an opportunity where we as Christians get to let our light shine. And sometimes an opportunity that we continue to squander because we idolize this thing, whatever that is. I think even in, in marriage, so, so often we think, man, and, and I've heard this preached this way, and I've very rarely ever seen it in reality. We think, man, when marriage is going great, when, my, when I'm loving my kids are going great, when relationships are really going great, that's when I'm tempted to idolize them. To be honest with you, I just not, have not seen that. Uh, that may be a thing, but typically things are going great because they're encouraging and good and healthy things are going on. I think we more often have an, a, a, a temptation to idolize our marriages when things are going poor, when things are going bad. Like when things are going fine, everything was fine, things start to go bad, and we start to realize how much we need this thing more than anything else in our lives. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying there's not genuine suffering there. I'm not saying there's not things to work through. I'm not saying you need to be happy-go-lucky during that time. But we realize that if I don't have this, I can't be happy. And that's an idol. That's the definition of an idol. It's something above God. And again, when I buy happy, I don't mean perfect or I don't mean completely content in every way. I just mean when things start to go bad, it's often revealed that, oh, this is, this is what's most important in my life. Um, and we should consider that. Um, outside of Jesus, there really isn't any great philosophy in navigating marital conflict and divorce. It's find someone else that works for you. Um, it's just move along. Okay, that's fine. This one didn't work. You know, maybe the next time it will. You know, make sure you get it right this next time. Or, there's just not a great philosophy outside of taking divorce serious uh, and pursuing Jesus uh, in the midst of it. Because obviously, no marriage is going to outrun the effects of sin and suffering. It's, it's the reality we all live in, the reality every one of our relationships uh, exist in. Um, and again, I even think about what, everything I was saying just in regards to parenting. Our kids don't need to see a perfect marriage. It's not possible. And I'm not saying they, there's parts of our marriage they shouldn't see, and there's parts of even our conflict they shouldn't see. But if all they see, I remember talking to a guy one time, he was like, man, I never saw my parents fight. So I got in a fight when uh, I got married, and I thought, well, this is the end of this. I'm, you know, this is the, I've never, never seen this before, and obviously this happened. So, man. What are, and, and here's the deal. And again, there's obviously a balance there. There's, there's wisdom there. But, but our parents, our, our kids don't need to see this perfect marriage. They need to see two imperfect people uh, clinging to and pointing each other to a perfect Jesus, a, a perfect Savior. That, that is what they need. That is, that is what we need. Um, and so we should consider uh, them in that way. And again, just consider the opportunity to be salt and light in the areas where uh, we struggle. Um, so any of these areas, the, the truth is we often need help, but any of the areas I just talked about are not grounds for divorce. So back to the question, is divorce ever right? Let me restate something that Jesus is dramatically narrowing the grounds of divorce. But within this narrowing, 
he does give grounds for divorce. We see it clearly, adultery, sexual immorality are grounds for biblical divorce. And then if you've studied the scripture at all, uh, it's important that we talk about Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16. Really the only other additional kind of grounds that I've ever talked about in the scripture. Verse 12, Paul says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that he's, he's relying on his apostolic authority as an apostle, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So seem, seemingly two grounds for divorce. And I want to say a couple things. One, obviously the Bible isn't saying you have to get a divorce. The Bible isn't saying in any of these situations you must get a divorce or you need to get a divorce or to get a divorce. Uh, the Bible isn't saying that, uh, but that you are free to. Kevin DeYoung, he, he describes it this way, covering kind of both of those allowances. He says, the traditional Protestant position, as stated in the Westminster Confession of Faith, for example, maintains that divorce is permissible on grounds of marital infidelity or desertion by an unbelieving spouse. Now, listen to this part. It's so pastorally true. Granted, the application of these principles is difficult, and the question of remarriage after divorce gets even trickier, but almost all Protestants have always held that divorce is sometimes acceptable. The reality is life is messy, and marital conflict, especially marital conflict that's leading to divorce, considering divorce, is even messier. Uh, it reminds me of Proverbs eighteen seventeen: the one who states his case First seems right until the other comes and examines him. And, and that's often the case like in, when, when we're walking with people as a pastor, when we're walking with people as a friend, when we're walking with people as a church member. Like th this is just one of those things that is not uh, most, most times just incredibly messy and hard to navigate. Um, it's exhausting. It's exhausting for the people going through it. It's exhausting for the people walking with the people going through it. It's emotional. It's hard. Um, it, it's, it's, it's just really tough. And, and that's why I say, like, when we come at this from a theological perspective, we should, we have to. Uh, but if you've never walked with anybody closely uh, and tried to navigate, there's just uh, an aspect of this that, that, that you're just not going to be able to see or feel or know. Or if you've never experienced it personally, um, there's just, yeah, there's just often sometimes something missing there. Um. So let me say again, is divorce ever right? Yes. God does not commend the continuing breaking of his covenant. He does not commend and encourage adultery or sexual morality, and neither should we. But one, of the, one example I think has to be mentioned if you're going to care for anybody well. Was actually, I was reading this, and a few people mentioned this, and a few people didn't. And to be honest with you, I was somewhat frustrated because like, one of the realities that we have to think about, because the Bible doesn't talk about it explicitly, is what do we do in the sense of abuse? Like, so there's not sexual abuse, or there's not sexual immorality. Uh, and when I say abuse, physical, that there's financial, uh, there's emotional abuse that happens uh, in the midst of marriage. And uh, I, there's a book called When Home Hurts. It's written by Professor uh, Dr. Um, Jeremy Pierre from Southern Seminary. And uh, Greg Wilson, a uh, counselor in Flower Mound, a uh, good friend. And they have a really helpful uh, kind of thought about just this idea. In that book, it says this. It says, the most difficult decisions in human life are those that present us with the values and tension with one another. Good biblical values like marriage, forgiveness, and reconciliation can be in tension with the other good biblical values like accountability, protection, and justice. And I will say, I, I think it's clear to me in the churches I've been a part of that often we have overvalued reconciliation at the expense of God's justice, of God's protection, of accountability for people that need it. 
that, that we've emphasized one uh, to the neglect of the other. And we should never do that. We don't choose one, we choose them all. They're all good. They're all what we desire. They're all what we need. They're all what God says is good, so we call it good. Um, but we don't neglect one uh, over the other. And what we often do, and we do this in so many different relationships, is we fake reconciliation to celebrate it, and it never really happened. Because real reconciliation acknowledges the real stuff of the struggle, the real, the real, asp- the real things that had gone wrong. Um, and, um, and so I think we have to be mindful of that. Even if you think about it biblically, um, often uh, what we, how we think about 1 Corinthians 7 and the unbelieving spouse leaving and abandoning uh, the, the husband or the wife, that's just how we think about abuse. It's just a forced abandonment. If someone's physically abusing uh, their spouse, they're forcing that spouse to leave. And if that happens, in an, whether that person claims Christ or not, whether that happens in a continued, unrepentant, unconfessed kind of way, then we realize this is a forced kind of an abandonment uh, situation. Like this, the spouse needs to, to leave. And so what happens often is, is the one doing the abuse continues to claim Christ and continues to claim repentance and continues to abuse. Uh, and that's when uh, we should not, that's when we should value accountability and justice and protection uh, for the vulnerable person or people in that marriage. Um, God hates abuse, and, and so should we. Uh, and this, I, I say that because I feel like it's just unkind not to say it, unhelpful not to say it, but I also hate saying it. It's just a messy situation. And to be honest with you, the messiest of situations, I don't hate saying that, we, that abuse is horrible, but the, the messiest of situations are where it's just more ambiguous and it's a struggle and, and we're people just trying to do the best we can in the midst of relationships and trying to be faithful to Jesus and faithful to one another. And sometimes that just gets really hard. And sometimes it gets really muddy in the midst of this. Sometimes it's clear, but it's often not. Uh, it took many years to get pretty muddy and it, it takes many years to unwind all of that. Um, and so a lot of it just takes patience takes long suffering, takes wisdom, takes continuing to seek the Lord, takes continuing to see, Jesus, you are sufficient whether this goes the way I want it to or not. Jesus, you are sufficient in this moment, in this hardness, and, and, and even that, that continued confession. Jesus, I don't feel as though you're sufficient. <laughs> Jesus, I don't feel as though you're all I need. I feel like this is all I need here. Um, and that's what we have to. That's that's the part of the road, of of walking with brothers and sisters, or walking ourselves uh, as our, our marriage navigates uh, these these hard roads. Um, uh, let me let me say this in, in closing ish. I promise, kind of. Um, reconciliation is just a beautiful reality that I have seen God work many many times. And it is a good picture of the heart of God. And so as we think about reconciliation, we should pray for reconciliation. We should long for reconciliation. We should desire it. We should long for God to do that in the midst of relationships, in the midst of marriages, in the midst of every situation. But we also have a God that's just honest and he talks about what's going on. And so we always need to be willing to do that. Uh, Reconciliation is not at the expense of that. It's in the midst of that. And so we should be willing uh, to do that. And, and it's, it's hard to understate the, the encouragement and joy I've felt with brothers and sisters that I've walked with and seen God reconcile. Um, it's, it's a sweet gift that God does grant and that we should pursue. And then one of the things that, again, that even Kevin DeYoung acknowledges gets even trickier in this is just the topic of remarriage. Again, a lot of times, just we want to make this cleaner than it is biblically. The Bible could say more about this, but it doesn't. It gives us what it has, and it's sufficient. Uh, but Jesus implicitly addresses remarriage in our passage when he says um, in verse 32, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Um, but commentators agree that adultery here isn't mean the whole marriage is ongoing adultery, but just the initial relationship um, is viewed as that. Uh, and there do seem to be instances where remarriage shouldn't be considered and others where it could be, uh, but there's often more questions than answers um, in, in, this, in this area. And again, it takes patience, it takes wisdom, it takes seeking Jesus uh, in prayer and in 
community. These, these are just some of the hardest counseling situations, some of the hardest friendship situations, some of the hardest, obviously, personal situations uh, that we can go through and we get exhausted by. And, and here's the danger, is trying to hash out every particular that we miss the person preaching these very words. Um, again, that's the, the idolatry of marriage, as we try to figure out, answer to every question and miss the very one offering these words to us. We get consumed with the details instead of being consumed with Jesus. And this is what we need. The Pharisees' flippant views of marriage and divorce show how they were idolizing it. My needs aren't being met. I need to move along, and marriage is going to meet these needs. And they were not obviously coming to Jesus or even Yahweh before Jesus, um, but they were idolizing their needs and that marriage could meet those. But again, God created marriage as this beautiful mystery of two people becoming one flesh. If you think about how important marriage is to God, you just need to look at the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible. Or you can say it this way, the beginning of time and the end of time. It began with him creating man and woman and bringing them together as one flesh in this union, and it ends with a marriage as he's prepared us as a, a bride to be adorned, that we will, in the end, and experience an intimacy with God. He will be ours, and we will be his, and we will experience an intimacy unlike anything we've experienced in this life, in marriage or otherwise. And that, that's God's picture of marriage. He, he, it's a very beautiful, big, incredible deal to our God. And so it should be to us as well. But if Hosea has taught us anything, it's that we have essentially divorced God. That we have gone our own way. That we have committed adultery time and time again. And that if God was not committed to this marriage, we would have no hope. If God had not made a way for those of us that are adulterous and going our own way, there would be no way for us to be had. But God in his kindness has pursued, has tended, has cared, has made a way that we could be with him and that he could be with us. And so, brother and sister, I do pray that you would have hope. However this hits you, Again, your hope can only be in Jesus. It can't be in the sermon. It can't be in parsing this out perfectly. It can only be in Jesus and who he is and, and what he has done. He has not given up on you, and he won't. I pray that you would look to this Jesus to cover any shame that maybe was brought up. I pray that you would look to this Jesus to navigate struggles in your marriage right now. I pray that you would look to Jesus if you're wading through some of the gray, messier versions of all of this that you would look to Jesus to forgive, to forgive those that have sinned against you, and that you would look to Jesus to forgive you for the ways that you have sinned against others. Truly, church, even in the darkness of marital divorce or struggles, Jesus is sufficient. May the Spirit help us believe that and turn to him. Let's pray. Jesus, I do just thank you for the comfort and conviction that you continue to bring to me and my life in the midst of my marriage. Thank you, Jesus, that I get to turn to you, I get to cling to you. I thank you that you are there, that you don't hide behind anything, but you are available. You tell us to ask and seek and knock. And so would we do that? I pray for my brothers and sisters that are going through this right now, that you would be with them and bring comfort. Or for those that have gone through this in the past, that you would tend and care and continue to heal and give them freedom to, to discover or uh, that they, they, don't have to, they don't have to fear. They don't have to fear your presence. They don't have to fear your, your comfort. They don't have to fear you in the midst of these thoughts and these struggles and but Jesus, I pray for those that have thought about divorce, that are considering it, that feel led in that direction. Lord Jesus, would they seek you? Would they find you? Would you bring clarity? Would you bring wisdom? Would you bring comfort? 
Would they, they trust that you have good for them, that your word is good for them? And in all of these situations, Jesus, would you loom large? Would you be the largest thing in our hearts and our minds where struggles have, uh, had a, we've had a microscope on them and they've seemed large? Would we see that compared to you, they, they aren't? That you are the most true thing, you are the biggest reality, you're the most powerful being in the world, and we get to, to seek you and find you, pray against the enemy in all the ways that he likes to blow up our struggles and our sin and our, in a way that minimizes you, Jesus, would we, would we, would we see you? And I do pray for those that are single those that are longing to get married, would you comfort them? I pray against fear. pray against fear of marriage. Maybe from things they've seen in their life. Maybe from sermons like this. pray against fear that they would see that it is a beautiful gift. I pray against selfish views of marriage. pray against them longing for it in their own, um, for their own selfish desires, but they would seek to find someone that you would uh, bring them a spouse that into their life that loves you and loves them and that they could seek to bless. Would you do that? Would you provide in that way for my single brothers and sisters that long for that? Jesus, in this and in so many ways, we need you. Would you help us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to come set up a communion in a second. For now, you can stand with me and we're going to respond uh, in this song.